cut this part out of the podcast later. Uh, I don't get it. I don't really care. You know, we both are wrong. No, I love you. Hello. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. Uh, I'm Paul. And I'm Andrew Paul. And yeah, oh yeah, your last name is my first name. And uh, and we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Uh, Andrew, uh, where's Fonda? Fonda is in the throes of LitFest right now. Right, right. The festival she runs is in full swing. Uh, and so so it's you and me. <laughs> it is. We're holding down the fort while Fonda is uh, running around wrangling authors for 10 days of nonfiction lit. That's right. Uh, but we have been we have been fairly busy. What have we been up to, Andrew? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I uh, had a lovely chat with uh, some folks from Cripsy about uh, a show that's coming up uh, next week. Great. Um, and that is what took up uh, my day yesterday. Great. Cool. Uh, and I don't know. What else has been going on, Paul? Well, uh, I went and saw something. Uh, at the. Uh, I saw Jezebel at the Still Point, which is uh, part of the Roxy Performance Series, so sort of part of the Theater Network season, uh, where they present uh, works by other companies. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, the tale as old as time of uh, a woman and her dog, her French bulldog in outer space, uh, which was created and performed by uh, Ainsley Hilliard of Good Women Dance Collective and Jezebel of <laughs> Ainsley Hilliard, her dog. Um, yeah. Uh, full disclosure, my roommate Beth directed this show is a, is a thing I should probably say. Um, but yeah, so it uh, takes place on a crash landing on another planet okay. uh, with uh, Ainsley and Jezebel as the, the two crew members of a ship uh, trying to figure out uh, on a mission to uh, st- stop time, uh, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, and sort of it, it mixes with uh, some dance, uh, mixes with theater. It's, it's mostly text and, and projection and, and things like that. Uh, and also, of course, a live dog on stage, which is, uh, you know, such a fascinating focus pull always. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, how Have you ever done a show with an animal uh, in the cast before? I have never done that. <laughs> it's racking my brain, but yeah. I... Yeah, that, that seems like a very um, risky and yet fun uh, situation. Uh, you know, there's... Um... I don't know if it's an adage, but you know, never do a show with dogs or an, or with animals or children because mm-hmm. uh, they can be very difficult to work with. Uh, how how was Jezebel's role sort of incorporated into the story? Yeah, I think I think quite well in the sense of um, there were times when Jezebel went for a wander, uh, mostly to the front row to sort of sniff around and and sit with people who are there. Uh, but I guess the nice thing is it's not like Jezebel. Um, is required to do certain things. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, the trick didn't work tonight. Jezebel is present. And honestly, as an audience member, um, knowing that this live dog could do anything, uh, that is its own sort of uh, focus pull. So anytime uh, Jezebel does anything, you feel the audience immediately like pull in full focus to see this dog sneeze or grunt <laughs> or, or do uh, whatever, whatever the dog is going to do. 
So, so yeah, I think um, and was pretty chill for a lot of it as well. Sort of sat uh, for all the moments she needed to sit with. And I think uh, I think Ainsley had a good sense of when to just let Jezebel do her thing and continue on with whatever was going on, and when to come scoop her up, right. and and when it was time to go back to send her. And also, they set out like a little blanket and a water dish, so Jezebel was fine. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think uh, it's just it's definitely a show for the for the pet lovers out there. Um, you know, it ultimately sort of comes down to uh, a connection between a person and an animal, and how uh, wonderful, but also how how affecting that can be in the sense of um, just even thinking about the goodbye with a, with a pet. I don't know if you've ever had to say goodbye to a pet in your life, but it, you know, uh, it takes a lot out of you. It's, it's really affecting. They're, they're a person and a member of your family, a person as much as they, they can be. And so, so this in this sort of sci-fi um, framework uh, really does ultimately get to the heart of that and sort of connecting with uh, with an animal and and what that means and how that how that feels, this sort of uh, without giving away an ending, um, it really sort of gets there in that like really connecting with that that personal uh, sentiment of of uh, what does it mean to truly love uh, something that uh, you will see its whole life through more much more likely than it will see your life through, right? Uh, to love something that death can touch. <laughs> what? A, how poetic! <laughs> but yes, yes, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, uh, maybe chat a little bit about um, uh, the lighting, the costumes. Um, what, uh, what were you seeing on stage uh, sort of on that front? Great. Uh, costume on stage, uh, space costume, cool. space suit. Uh, great. Full helmet. Uh, Jezebel also wore sort of a, uh, this, uh, for, for lack of a better term, a Jezebel um, fashion show at one point <laughs> that sort of goes through all of Jezebel's space wear. Uh, which is sort of married with projections, looking at some of the technical specs of that. Uh, the projections sort of helped set that atmosphere, absolutely. Um, I love science fiction uh, on or off stage, and I, want, I think one reason it rarely gets done on stage is because creating that atmosphere is, is trickier to do mm-hmm. um, when, we're, when we're in a black box theater. Uh, but I think uh, the use of projection uh, and, and lighting really helped with that to create that atmosphere. Yeah, and that also let us travel to other places. They at one point go on a road trip to Portland um, because there's uh, there's a woman there who's offering a workshop on time travel, uh, and so we get the abridged tour of Portland and and what that looks like. Did you learn a lot about space? Did did she bring up like Leica, the first dog to go to space? Yes, like uh, yeah. You learned a lot about the the space dogs. Okay, uh, that that came out of that program and what uh, what their fates were in a in an interesting piece of history. Like you sort of think about the space dogs and you're like, aye, um, yeah, a lot of one way tickets. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. and it, but uh, some of the neat sort of history that's uncovered in this is uh, talking about um, how they were prepped and and whether they were expected to come back or not, and also some of the feelings of the scientists years on about about having done this. Mm-hmm. It also looks into the actual real world thing of cloning your dogs, okay. um, which is there are a couple places you can do that. And sort of thinking about that as well. So it gets into some of the the real life um, science of which dogs have been privy to, whether it's going to outer space and how that uh, paved the way for for human travel, uh, but and also ways people have dealt with the loss of their pets, mm-hmm. sometimes by trying to clone that very dog, only to find out not quite the same. What a time we live in! <laughs> Truly, what a time to be alive! 
Now, Ainsley's background is uh, very much rooted in, in dance and movement. Mm -hmm. um, was there uh, many elements uh, from that side of the spectrum uh, incorporated into the show? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of it is text. A lot of it is uh, conversation between uh, the dog. And we are sort of this, uh, this sentient entity they've discovered on this planet. Uh, but there are a couple different movement sequences. One is, I think, getting readings on sort of the planet we're on. And one is sort of a, just sort of like emotions have peaked while thinking about time. And again, sort of with the combination of lights and uh, and projection. And that sort of sets a background for, for a movement sequence, uh, which is, uh, of course, as you said, uh, Ainsley Hilliard's uh, background is in, is in dance and movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so there's a couple elements of that. So it's a, sort of a mix of, of everything. This was a show that went to the Winnipeg Fringe this summer. Uh, so I think you can see uh, you can see elements of combining all of these things and uh, a little bit expanded in this in this case. Uh, it's longer than a, an hour. Um, sort of sort of fleshing that out from its its earlier version and giving it these more technical technical aspects to to help with that. Yeah, well I think uh if I remember correctly the show has been in development for almost 3 years um going back to I believe it was a workshop that Ainsley was taking in Calgary with Denise Clark from uh, One Yellow Rabbit. Sure. You you know more about that than I do, uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, it is it is really interesting just to see the uh, the progression of the show and, and its development in its various sort of forms. Um, and I haven't seen this one yet, mm -hmm. but uh, we can catch it uh, this week because it runs until October 21st. Nailed it. At the uh, Roxion Gateway. Ah, excellent. Excellent. The former Catalyst Space, now the Roxion Gateway. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Paul, I think it's time for an ad. Yeah. The Otherwise Podcast is a variety podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living on Treaty 6 territory by sharing stories of our lived experience. The show strives to highlight our collective ethno-cultural linguistic diversity and heritage, reflect on who we are as a city, and bring about positive social change. In the most recent episode, the Otherwise team discussed their reasons for wanting a platform that showcases the diverse stories of the others living in Treaty 6 territory. You can stay updated by following uh, Otherwise on social media. Both the Twitter and Instagram are at Otherwise underscore show. And for more information, you can contact them at OtherwiseShow at gmail.com or go to OtherwiseShow.com. Good work, Paul. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, tell me a little more about this conversation you had with, uh, Cripsy, Andrew. Yeah, so I sat down with Lindsay Eels the other day. Uh, she's the artistic director of Cripsy, and on October 19th and 20th, they're presenting Mobilize at the ATB Arts Barns. So, Mobilize is a big old show, uh, featuring six works created by artists who experience disability and or mental health challenges. And I chatted with Lindsay about her piece, Ourselves Each Other, uh, and how she built this show using mad creation processes that prioritize consent, choice, and invitation. Uh, so let's check that out now. Welcome to I Don't Get It, Lindsay. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Well, maybe we can start by getting you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you were involved with Cripsy. Absolutely. So... Yeah, my name is Lindsay Eels, and I'm the co-artistic director of Cripsy. Um, and Cripsy is a nonprofit professional arts organization um, led by and f for people who experience disability and other forms of marginalization, as well as our artistic and political allies. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a show coming up on October 19th and 20th. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Mobilize? Absolutely. Uh, so Mobilize is a collection of works by Cripsy artists, 
Um, there's over 20 artists involved in the show, um, six different choreographers, many of whom have experiences with disability or madness, um, which I can talk a little bit more about later. Yes, absolutely. Um, and other experiences. How many pieces are uh, sort of contained within uh, the Mobilize uh, umbrella? For sure. So there's six, six works. Um, there's two works by Kelsey Acton. So one is a small research project um, that resulted in Orbits, which is a piece with three artists um, from our collective. And another piece is a 30-minute work called Garden Paths um, that just toured to Thunder Bay, which was really exciting. Um, and then we have two emerging choreographers. So Allison Newman is a disabled dancer and choreographer and writer um, who's been working with us for She's now done three pieces for our show within the context of the Emerging Choreographers program. Okay. And we have a new emerging choreographer named Nathan Foes, who's a queer, mad, trans artist um, and writer as well, um, taking their first foray into dance making. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be a dancer in that piece, so I'm really excited about it. And then we have an improv piece. Um, with six artists, and that's emerged out of a collaboration with Jerry Marita and Jody Vanderkerkov. Uh, for Mile Zero Dance. Yeah, yes. and that project is looking at what improv um, practices are available um, that we can think about making more accessible for dancers with a really wide range of um, needs in terms of mobility and memory and connection. And so that was a really exciting process that really built our capacity in terms of dance improv skills and also hopefully shared some learning um, about what it means to make more accessible improv practices for people uh, with a wide range of embodiments and enmimements. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, and what are the pieces that you're working on uh, specifically? Yeah, and so then there's my piece, which is called Ourselves, Each Others, um, and it's a piece with 10 dancers um, that really does a couple things, but first tries to prioritize um, movement that's generated by disabled dancers um, themselves and what does it mean to translate movement from disabled dancers movement vocabularies into the wider collective um, so really thinking about what disability centered work looks like okay and also trying to imagine new ways of creating that center mad process. And so for me, that's a number of things that have kind of been emerging out of my PhD work, looking at trauma-informed practice in dance. Okay. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my PhD work has informed the creative process for this piece. And that work is looking at trauma-informed practice, which is um, often or has emerged out of health and social services um, sectors where there was a call to start recognizing that people who are coming to access services have experiences of trauma often um, as a result of poverty and oppression and racism and ableism and homophobia and transphobia um, and sanism. Um, so for me, trauma-informed practice um, in the context of dance is asking us to think about what does it mean to make art with people who have embodied trauma and we carry trauma in our bodies. Um, and some of the best practices around trauma-informed 
practice include um, fostering safety and trustworthiness, um, really considering choice and collaboration in really deep senses of the word, mm -hmm. um, and really thinking about what does it mean to practice with consent. Um, but also, if we look at madness as generative, um, so madness being a particular social and political orientation to what might be called mental illness, okay. um, and also understanding and thinking through mental distress in the context of our work. So some of the things that we can think about in relation to madness is that while mental distress is very intense and distressing, mm -hmm. um, there's also really generative possibilities about experiencing the world, um, perceiving the world in different ways. Um, there's neurodiversity movements that grew out of autistic movements um, that argue that different brain function, different ways of perceiving the world are really deeply valuable. So for me, that meant thinking about what are the exciting possibilities of understanding ourselves as multiple humans in one body, maybe. Okay, yeah. Um, what does it mean to think about relating to ourselves as multiple beings? Um, what does it mean to come together and meet each other in our different ways of existing? Um, and how many relationships could we be amplifying and playing with, with that being a start point for the process? So... In terms of actually making the work, we started with a simple exercise of naming five cells that you are. Okay. And then generating movement about those five cells. I can you give some examples uh, that sort of came up during that process? Absolutely. Um, for myself, I might have one of myself be rage baby and one of them be whimsy feels, which is my like magical creature being, and one of them be a teacher. Um, and... Danielle was a dragon and a nature being, and we had butterflies, and we had um, anger, and we had a really broad range of feelings and connections to ourselves that we wouldn't have discovered otherwise in the creative process Right, right. without taking a mad perspective. To the work. Yeah, uh, so these are sort of the kernels that uh, started the, informing the, the movement vocabulary for the exactly. piece. Exactly. Um, so maybe uh, can you walk us through what uh, a rehearsal might look like with uh, all of the dancers now that they have their sort of little seeds um, to start, you know, growing uh, in, in the rehearsal uh, process? I can talk us through a number of our rehearsal kind of practices. In the initial generation phases, we started with, can we name five of ourselves? that we might be willing to explore in the creative process. And so this is where issues of like consent and um, choice come in. So we'd have people generate five and then pick three to make movements about. So there's spaciousness in terms of, you may list five, five of yourselves, um, but not be ready or desiring of, of addressing some of them in movement. Absolutely. Um, or you may come into playing with one of those five cells and say, nope, not ready for this. I'm going to choose a different one. Um, so folks would generate three movements. We had folks get into small groups that are generally self-chosen 
and share those movements and then start to make a movement sentence. So teaching each other the movements that they're offering um, and stringing together those movements in a small duet or trio kind of context. Okay. So a lot of the work is really generated from the movements, the bodies and the experiences of the dancers in the space. And then they would start creating these collaborative duets and trios and then when they felt ready, we were in a place to share with each other. We'd witness um, what they were offering mm -hmm. to the space. Um, and then from that, we collectively took one of each person's movements, made a longer movement sequence that we would all do in unison at some point in the piece, um, and then just start putting the work in relation to each other. So how does this duet and trio relate to this duet and trio? Um, where do we put them in space together? And a lot of it is really collaboratively designed and determined. What What are we going to see uh, as an audience member when, when we're in our seats? Um, is there sound design, um, costumes, uh, lighting? Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, that side of things. In ourselves, each other, you're going to see a lot of different humans, a lot of different bodies, a lot of different ways of moving. A lot of weight sharing and really like palpable trust in the ways that folks create lifts and carries and um, connections and, and sharing their bodies. Um, I really like pretty lights, so you'll see very pretty lights. Um, the sound design is Julian Lucien, and it's off Tremendo, <laughs> uh, okay. um, which is a useful way to work sometimes um, you know as our budgets grow we like to um, hire composers and stuff like that but um, for some of our other works that's the way we go yeah for sure and it's a very like rolling connected kind of whimsical piece because a lot of people chose selves that may not exist in our everyday realities um, but exist in magical worlds um, and so there's a real connection to that and also I think there's a longing and a desire and a in the context of disconnections that happen in the piece yeah and I feel like most of my work has um, really implicit political messages if not explicit so questions of who's initiating movement who's in charge of the movement um, how are folks connecting in ways that we might not see people connect in our everyday lives on, on the stage space. Um, so that's part of what's really meaningful me, for me about working with large groups of dancers with really wide varieties of abilities and yeah. capacities. And that seems to tie back to the consent um, sort of theme in, in the creative process as well, which uh, I find very interesting uh, and very, very cool that um, the process sort of grows from that. Uh, I think there's been a lot of conversations in uh, the dance and theater communities about process and creating those safe spaces for artists to create work. Uh, so it is very cool to uh, to learn about how uh, you approach your creative process with, with your dancers that, uh, you know, you are in a, a position of power uh, and how you are responsibly uh, managing uh, that space when you're bringing everybody together. So that's that's very fascinating. Yeah, I think it's such important things to be thinking about. And I think in the context of our work in Cripsy, we need to be undermining ableist and sanist ways of working, but also racist and homophobic and transphobic um, ways that our everyday 
rehearsal practices or professional art making practices um, may be perpetuating inequality in our world and really deeply thinking about even within the context of dance, how we're asking folks to remember choreography, um, expecting certain things of memory and capacity, and that might be really exclusive from, for some folks. Mm -hmm. How is touch negotiated? Because our, at least in this piece, it's very contact heavy, but when people carry trauma in their bodies, that needs to be negotiated really delicately and with a lot of choice and a lot of opportunity to say no and to say, not now, um, and so I really try to f prioritize in our process um, the opportunity to say no, to say I will try, um, to say I'd like to try this differently, um, and most often the offerings from the group are <laughs> so much more creative and exciting um, and also then feel safer for people to give as much as themselves as they feel ready for um, in our creative work. So. Uh, so is there anything else that you'd like to chat about uh, before uh, we wrap up here today? Hmm. Yeah, I think just in the context of if organizations are interested in um, considering accessibility of their work, of the opportunities that they might offer for artists, um, of the spaces that they're in. We do consulting work to support the increased accessibility of the arts for organizations in Edmonton. And so if that's something that's desirable, please get in contact with us. And and also hire disabled dancers and actors and artists. Um, write those roles, um, make space, and then do the deep work that that is involved in really questioning our everyday practices um, and how they support certain kinds of bodies and certain kinds of minds um, and how they might exclude others. Um, and I think we would have a much richer art scene um, if that was happening. And it's starting to happen, really. So um, yeah, I just encourage folks to continue down that, um, yeah, that adventure. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, and we're looking forward to Mobilize on October 19th and 20th. Uh, and where can we go for tickets? Uh, tickets are available um, online at Eventbrite and at the door. It's sliding scale, 5 to $25. So what that means is you can pay what you feel capable of paying within that range. Um, we really want to make our art accessible financially as well as socially and physically accessible. So, um, yeah, come out, pay what you can. Um, and just be in, an, be in our audience. That would be a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you. And back to you, Paul. Cool, great. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, what, a, what a great chat um, to have heard in this day of 2018. All right, Paul, let's do another ad. Creative minds need creative banking. That's why ATB has created the Branch for Arts and Culture a branch that understands that artists don't live by the rules or standard pay schedules. So you can be creative and not have to worry about your checking account. It's a creative space for creative types and just one more way ATB will always be more than a bank. To learn more about ATB's branch for arts and culture, visit atb.com slash the branch. Cool. Let's, let's come up. Uh, let's look at what's coming up with some listings. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first on the docket, we have 
uh, presented by the Maggie Tree. Uh, opening this week is Blood, a Scientific Romance, which runs October 16th to 27th at the Backstage Theater. And then we have Lennons and Balmers at the Tim Center, which is running until October 20th. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Northern Light Theater presenting Origin of the Species, which is running until October 27th, also at the Arts Barns. And that is the o- those are the only three shows going on in Edmonton. Probably not. But, Probably but not. Yeah. These, these are the listings that people have uh, sent us uh, mm-hmm. and wanted us to include. So if you have a show that's going on, here is just a friendly reminder that we would love to hear from you so that we can include uh, your show in our uh, event roundup uh, at the end of our weekly episodes. Right. And you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our Twitter page or on our email, which is... I don't get it. Dance at gmail.com. Nice. Uh, cool. Great. Well, uh, I think that's it, Andrew. Well, thank you for letting me, uh, bumble my way through this, uh, strange hosting duties. You, uh, here, you nailed it. You nailed it. It's finally the hand that pulls the strings, uh, has been heard. Uh, cool. Uh, go see some performances, everyone. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking, I love you.